Last week we did the liturgical lessons, finished it up, um, as we saw about the readings as well as the psalms that went back and forth between the readings, and then I decided that I would go ahead and do a liturgical calendar and talk about how those readings, not only do they fit the theme, but there's a theme for each Sunday, and they fit within a calendar, and uh, we had a a fill-in-the-blank, and we filled in, uh, as we saw, go from Advent, Christmas, then pre-Lent, Desmond-Lent to Easter, and then the other half of the church year, uh, we were trying to approximate a a couple of calendars that kind of looked like this where it talked about how we went through the life of Jesus pretty well for half the year and the story of the church uh, where Jesus uh, lives uh, the other half of the year and and spoke about that. Um, And so we finished that up last time. Today you have a new set of sheets. Uh, We're moving on. After the readings comes the creed comes the creed. In uh, Strodok's book, he begins saying, the creed may be said or sung. Sung? Huh. Um, Maybe that might be a new new idea. Uh, Whether said or sung, it is by all, for it is the formal confession of of the faith, and immediately following the reading of the epistle, and in particular the gospel, it is a definite appropriation and confession of the truth, that which has been read and we have heard with our eyes, we have heard with our ears, <laughs> we receive in our hearts, and confess with our lips. Um, uh, this morning, uh, we will be using a uh, the hymn of the day that is based upon uh, the creed, and it's a paraphrase of the Apostles' Creed, and um, uh, which we're quite quite familiar with. Uh, I was I I was kind of surprised. I, I you know I knew that you know the creed could be sung and all. Um, I remember a news report. It was oh it wasn't that long ago, maybe four or five years ago or something like that. I don't remember exactly where, but it was like a Syrian church um, in which there had been a, an attack of sorts upon the church and, and things that, that had happened. And the, the news article responded by saying that uh, the people were you know, uh, uh, unafraid of, of what was going on, and there was a picture, a video of them singing the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> and and uh, it reminds remind me a little bit, you know, whenever uh, uh, Lutherans have a particular event or something, and then they say, oh, let's all sing the common doxology. You know, we don't have to get it out. Praise God from whom all, you know. And, and we all know that. Um, uh, if I said, you know, we're all going to sing the hymn of the Reformation, we might get halfway through a mighty fortress, but, you know, at least two or three lines, and we'd kind of go, oh, where's that written, you know. Um, but I thought, singing the Nicene Creed. Um, 
you know, that's impressive. Um, but I would think that that's what they do every Sunday. And it may be, even as, you know, I was thinking about these things, um, it may be that, you know, their liturgy, there may be things they don't understand, there may be other, but the creed, uh, they sang, and I think we could probably do the same with the uh, create in me, or Lord, now let your servant's part be, so, or whatever it might be, but um, mentioned about it uh, being sung. The creed derives its name from the first word of the symbol. In Latin, the first word is credo, uh, I believe. Two creeds are appointed in the service. One is the Nicene Creed, or speaking more correctly, it's sometimes called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. You might say, yeah, I've never heard that. Well, historically, take a look at that. Uh, uh, The other uh, is the Apostles' Uh, creed. The Apostles' Creed itself, the smaller uh, creed, we often talk about three creeds, the Apostles' Creed being the uh, smallest one, the Nicene one, uh, the one is normally used in connection with Lord's Supper. Uh, the Apostles is in the small catechism, all used in connection with baptism or non-Lord's Supper services. Uh, and then we talk about the Athanasian Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, the smallest one, it's a development and enlargement of the Apostolic Baptismal Creed, or formula. That is, it comes out of, you would say, the confession in connection with baptism. So we'll, we'll take a look at that. Uh, the Nicene Creed finds its germs therein. Likewise, it also comes from that. But it is the formal doctrinal expression of the ecumenical councils, particularly Nicaea in 325, and Constantinople in 381. Uh, the fuller, fuller expressions of the later creed deal very definitely with the faith, quote, as received by us from the fathers. In our Lord and in God, the Holy Ghost, the Nicene, the doctrine of our Lord's divinity, uh, the Constantinopolitan, the doctrine of God Ghost. The Fuller Creed has always been the communion creed that is in the communion office. It's the oldest of the creedal uses in the liturgy, but its place has been quite varied in different sections of the church. It appears in Western Christianity and different national churches at different times. It does not become in universal use till about the 12th century, although it, it, it was used in many places quite a bit earlier. Uh, that would be the Nicene. The Apostles' Creed, as a liturgical use of the Western Church, <coughs> enters, that would be universal or widespread use kind of thing, starts with the 8th century and, and takes uh, some years to, uh, to get to that, although it goes back a whole lot further. The Western Church, from the time it began to use a creed in the liturgy, has always used it immediately after the Gospels. And that's pretty well all Strodok says uh, about the creed itself. Reed gives us a a whole lot more. Um, I'm going to go through uh, a a bit more, especially as we go back and start to take a look at that little half-page blue sheet that lists some Bible passages. We're going to take a look at those passages itself. We're going to look at the scriptural uh, what about the creed and the scriptures? We're going to take a look at the historical. Historically, how did it come about? 
uh, that we have this. We're going to take a look at how is it used, uh, how do we use these creeds, and why do we use them. Um, and Strodek's kind of given us the liturgical setup for it. There may be a little bit more, sometimes sung or sp uh, spoken. Most of the time, the Apostles' Creed, if you don't have Lord's Supper, use it in the service. If you do have Lord's Supper, use the Nicene, Athanasian Creed, Trinity Sunday, or other high festivals it can be used. So we'll we'll take a look at that. Pastor Hearn. Now you're going to talk about it later. I am. <coughs> All right. We finished up the readings. And in your green hymnal that you have in front of you, it lets us know. We're going to, it should be said, top of bottom page 16. The Nicene Creed is to be said on feast days. The Athanasian can be used in its place. Uh, and then it, it lists it as such. But let's take a look at our uh, sheets that I passed out. The Creeds in the Divine Service. Matthew 10.32. Our Lord gives us a, a promise. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. The one who professes, confesses, speaks forth uh, about who Jesus is and what he has done about our God and our faith. Uh, the Lord says, you confess before men, I will then confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, a definite uh, promise, but you can also see that there is encouragement by our Lord himself. Uh, he desires that we speak up. Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say, John the Baptist. You know, they, they think you've come back. John the Baptist was killed. They think you're John. Some think you are Elijah. Come back again. That was a particularly uh, uh, common thing at the time of Jesus, kind of a resurrected Elijah who went up into heaven, he'd come back down. Uh, others say Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know. He wants us, uh, after he has taught us, after he has revealed himself to us, after he has uh, done miracles and raised the dead and, and, and all of this, he says, all right, tell me, what do you say, who do you say that I am? He wants us to, to speak up. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We learn that our profession of the truth comes from the Father. Uh, that is, through the teaching, once we have received this teaching and we confess it, it is a confession of the faith that comes from the Father, and as the church confesses before men... All then who build on this confession, who have faith, 
uh, than are saved. They are part of the church. Now, um, as we go through today, uh, we, we commonly do this, but it, it, it bears uh, uh, clarification. Sometimes when we say faith, we mean one of two things. When we say faith. Sometimes when we say faith, we're talking about the trust that we have. The trust. Sometimes when we say faith, we're talking about the content, the thing that we trust in. The object itself. Okay? So, uh, do you... Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, here is a, a, a cup and it's, it's not going to leak. Do you believe this? Do you, do you trust, you know, uh, in that? Now, I, I might say, well, it could be the, what I just told you that I'm asking you to, to trust. Do you believe that's true? You know, and you might say, well, no, I think there's cranberry juice in there. Or I think, you know, whatever. Um, other times when we say, do you trust in it, we mean... Are you uh, 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 putting your faith in? Are you holding? And so I would say, so can I turn this over on your head? <laughs> you know, if, if I can do that. No, then I'm trusting. You know, it's not just. So sometimes we say, do you believe? It's usually we're talking about the faith that we have. And sometimes I say, um, let's profess the Christian faith, meaning the creed or the content. So you have kind of both of, of those. Jesus says he's going to build his church upon this confession of faith, upon the content of it. John 12, uh, we find that there were, even among the Pharisees and Sadducees, those on the council, there were some among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They didn't uh, openly acknowledge who Jesus was and what he has done and what they believe, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So we have those who believed and yet were not strong enough yet to be able to speak out of it, for they feared uh, what would come against them. Romans 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The normal situation should be one in which the belief of the heart comes out the mouth. And that is the normal situation. It <coughs> takes time. It takes teaching. It takes the strength of the Holy Spirit. Um, but yes, faith alone gives us righteousness. But with the mouth, we confess the salvation that we have received. Um, you don't want to be in the situation in which uh, there is a, a serving two masters that is always very precarious. Uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Jesus speaks about the church going out if he's going to build it on the rock. Go and make disciples of all nations. We do it two ways. One, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second is teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, baptizing and teaching, you make a disciple. We always want to make sure that the teaching goes together with the baptizing. 
Because those are the two things that go. That's how a disciple. It's not one or the other. It is those going together. And where the teaching is made, then we're going to see the confession. It didn't take long after our Lord's ascension as the uh, as they went out preaching and teaching uh, that the apostles created faith through their preaching and then there was baptizing. Philip in Acts 8 goes out, uh, one of the apostles, he opened his mouth, <coughs> beginning at the scripture he preached unto the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. He was in the, you might remember, he's in the... Uh, carriage, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he doesn't know who's he talking about. Philip then explains to him, he's talking about Jesus, he's the Savior. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Um, The Ethiopian eunuch knew the Old Testament scriptures, he knew the teachings of the faith, he just needed to learn who the Savior was that was coming. Once Philip had explained this to him, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. This kind of profession of faith, a creed if you will, it is an I believe statement, uh, has always been something in which the church has asked before baptizing. Now, if we have a young child in a in a family, that's a different story. We're going to baptize the child, then we're going to, with the Christian family, they're going to teach the child, and we're going to teach it and all. But with an adult, if you're going to be united with Jesus, I teach you all about him, and then I say, do you believe? Um, tell me about You know, do you trust? Is this what you want? He confesses the faith, and then he is baptized. Mary? I love it that the eunuch understands that here is water. It doesn't need to be holy water. It It's water. And uh, so he had already been well taught in a brief time to understand that it, it's the word. Very good. Good point. Um, well, I think it's interesting that he knew about baptism at all. John's been baptizing for quite a while, and that made a lot of stir. You know, this is a uh, a man who has a chariot sent by another, you know, I mean, he's gone to Jerusalem. Obviously, he's heard a lot. He just doesn't have it put together until Philip comes. I was just thinking of um, the Christian the Christian church that I went by every day on my way to Salem out in Texas, and they had a huge sign-up, which at least a quarter of the year said, Deeds, not creeds. Which is exactly the opposite of what the scripture teaches. Correct. And it's it's also creed, but you know. What we believe, again, the content of it, and then that we trust in it. Um, So anyway, this this somewhat creedal, kind of the start of creedal statements of being kind of a profession that happens before someone is baptized. Uh, This is really the very beginning of creedal statements, of individuals stating 
what they believe uh, and, and that happening. Acts 19, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, after preaching the content, they wanted to receive that. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about being washed, sanctified, and justified uh, in, in baptism. After being baptized, creedal kind of statements also, you don't say, oh, well, we're all done with that. No. Uh, after baptism, we tend, tend to call it catechesis, teaching or training, but what is the content then becomes the teaching part that's after it. In 1 Timothy 6, 12-16, Paul is telling Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called, and having confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good confession. Uh, Timothy is a pastor. He had to stand up and say, Here is what I believe. This is what I'm going to teach. Uh, he made the good confession. He did it before everyone. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Mm. Going back and say, you know, <coughs> Jesus stood up before Pilate and, and spoke the truth in the midst of all these things, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord uh, Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time. So what are you to do? Well, we want you, just as Jesus made the good confession, you need to keep this good confession by your fight of faith, by your continuing to do this. And then, doesn't this sound creedal? Uh, and, and when our Christ appears, which will manifest, he who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Um, it would appear that this was a snippet of something that was used in the church already. And uh, uh, you don't just go off, you know, on, on, on something like that. Um, Obviously, it must have been used, maybe even in the installation service or, or something like that. But uh, So, creeds, being used before, uh, tell me what you believe, then I'll baptize you in it. Having been baptized, they go kind of right back to those kind of things. We find that the creed or the content of faith becomes the content of the pastor's preaching. So, Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. But, and as it goes through, it almost sounds like a historical profession of who Jesus is, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, it always goes back to kind of the basic 
and to the glory of God the Father. And so we see that here. Let's confess. Jesus became man, suffered, died, rose again, will come again. Uh, we are then will stand before him and all tongues will confess that he was Lord, even those that, that didn't believe in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, as Paul is teaching the Corinthians congregation and bringing back, he speaks of something that he delivered. It is a handing over. In other words, I was given this thing and I delivered it to you. For I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received. What was that? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, that was Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. The early church had a practice in which, now remember I talked about the two parts of the service. You had the service of the word, which was the service for the catechumens, for the people learning. And then they would dismiss them that they might have the service of Lord's Supper, and that was the second part. Um, most of the time, we talk about it, it the service of, of communion, and that would be kind of after the prayers, the general prayer, and then if you're getting ready for communion, we would dismiss people. That was a little bit later. Earlier on, the dismissal was after the preaching, but before the creed. The creed was considered the sacred thing that they had. Now, um, in the early church... You didn't have a, a catechism, you know, book. You didn't have a, you know, okay, here, study the study the small catechism by Augustine or something. You know, I mean, you didn't really have that. Um, they couldn't read. They didn't do that. How did they, you might say, pass on the creed? By memorization, just like all of human history. So, until they had become conversant in the creed they couldn't confess it with the rest of us and so that creed was taught to them orally once they were able to now they were able to become a Christian and to come into the church because now they could confess the creed so that was the very first part of the uh, thing so I, I wonder if there is already with this this kind of I delivered it over to you and, and quite interesting at the very beginning of the church the, the word for uh, hand over is the, is the word traditio, from which we get the word tradition. 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 And, and, and now, obviously, that's been misused. So you have scripture, and then you have the extra stuff is the tradition. But in the early church, the tradition was what was handed over. That was the word of God itself. Well, I wonder how many times Paul used this. We only have it once in Scripture, but when you read that, that would be the general teaching of a church. That That's a sermon. That's right. Right. Exactly. You know, the people would hear that every Sunday, every, every worship. That, that would be part of it. 
First Timothy three, St. Paul is telling Timothy, and he goes on without con- controversy. He goes on to say, "Great is the mystery of godliness," and and then he says, "God was manifested in the flesh." Here we go again. Justified <laughs> in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the word world, received up in glory. I don't think it's just a random list. I mean, it 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 it, it has that uh, uh, kind of stair stepping and and goes through the whole you know content of that. Romans one one through four. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised for through his prophets in the holy scriptures. And as Paul begins his uh, letter to Romans. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Man, God, according to the scripture. You know, I, um, it, you know if, if, if these aren't already uh, becoming kind of hymns or professions or something that they repeat back and forth, at least it is the confession of the content of the preaching. <clears throat> this creed, this statement, this thing we believe, before baptism, yeah. After baptism, as, as kind of teaching instruction, yep. Is it used for the preaching? Right. And then afterwards... As we began to look at this, when someone else comes and brings to you a sermon teaching, you compare it with the creed, and you can determine truth and heresy based upon these creedal statements. You go, wait a minute, we all confess this. How can you be preaching that, Pastor? Um, 1 John 2.22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So they grab that phrase which they were confessing, and they go, wait a minute, if someone's not teaching that, if you're not abiding by that creedal profession, which was given to us from the scriptures, you know, this is someone who is against Christ. He's an antichrist of sorts. Um, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but what we're supposed to do is test the spirits, whether they are of God. Many false prophets have gone out. By this you know the spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And so they're, they're starting to give these uh, checkpoints, these things where you go, okay, um, Pastor Henson's preaching, I'm checking it. Oh, he said Jesus is God. Check. Yeah, we're checking it. Oh, he said that, you know, he died for the sins of God. Check. Um, you talked about a resurrection. Yep. You know, and you begin to realize, yes, uh, these things have been said. We find some other, it's, our faith is not just a theory. Our Christian faith, what we believe, is not just uh, uh, made up mythological kind of things. Um, It happened in time. Um, You know, uh, unlike, uh, oh, the Hindu 
teachings where there is a river and people washed in it and, you know, there was all this and the ancient gods said that. And you go, well, what river is that? And they go, well, that's not, it's just, there's not a place. I mean, you can't really show where that that is. Uh, um, and many new agey kind of things or, or even uh, uh, sects like, like Mormonism, whatever, where they make up things and you kind of go, well, that, there, there was no place like that. We have a real historical faith. Adam and Eve were real people. Uh, the Noah's, uh, uh, the flood, it happened. Um, Jesus Christ, there was an empty tomb. It was not just, oh, we ought to think in terms of resurrection. No, it, it actually happened. We find similar kind of things in the Old Testament. Now, they don't yet have that yet, so they speak in terms of the historical setting of people like Abraham. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God. And interesting enough, not just before men. Moses says, here is kind of our creed. This is what we, when we're confessing our faith before God, you say, my father was a Syrian, uh, about to perish. He went down to Egypt, dwelt there, few in number. There he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So take your New Testament faith which you have Jesus uh, uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, buried, rose. you got a historical kind of... And now in the Old Testament, how do you profess? What, what, what is your God? Who is your God? It's the one that started with the wandering Aramean, Syrian, who went down to Egypt, and God brought us out, and, and with an outstretched arm, he defeated Egypt, he defeated Pharaoh, and, and has made us his people. Oh, okay. That kind of historical profession, we find the same thing with Deuteronomy 6. We also see some of the more doctrinal, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We saw that in some of the readings. Uh, we continue to see this kind of profession uh, of, of the faith. 1 Corinthians 8, Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things and through whom we live. This kind of confession, this uh, creedal statement. You know, can I say something about that passage? Yeah. I think it's important for us to remember that Paul was preaching in Corinth. Corinth was the worst city in the Roman Empire. And what does he say there? He says there is one God. Now, how did what what other people in Corinth believe that? <clears throat> Only the Jews. Only the Jews believed that. But that was his starting statement there. There's one God, the Father. Then there's also the Son, Jesus Christ. And all of these things were made. The Romans knew what the Jews believed, and they hated it. And so, when Paul says that, there were probably a lot of Romans around there that were ready to string him up. 
because he's just another crazy Jew. Well, if the Christian church was that way today, our country probably wouldn't be in such bad shape. So, kind of gone through some... Liturgically, the creed is used as a profession of the universal, the Catholic faith, the faith of the Christian church. Um, this uh, good word, Catholic, simply means universal. Um, it is not until pretty well after the Reformation uh, that the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church, uh, asserted the word Catholic and made it theirs, and said, you know, we are that universal church. Uh, before that, nobody said that. Um, the Roman Catholics said, yeah, we're the, we're the universal church. In Rome, we teach that. There was an Eastern church. They also professed the Catholic church, though universal teaching. Uh, we shared that, but um, that began to be a uh, uh, change. This was then the standard uh, that we would have to the world. If you're going to call yourself Christian, here are the things that Christians believe. I talked about ministers. It was a guide for their preaching as well as what they were going to instruct. It was a principle of interpretation to find out if your interpretation of God's word or the meaning of scripture. Um, it also told us about that which was most important. Uh, and that's what my sermon this morning is going to be about, about the what is most important. It served as discipline, stating the truth in regard to heresy, not only for uh, preachers, but also for setting the boundaries for what was Christian theology as well as life. It was in preparation for baptism, teaching for conversion, and then for once you were in it. And it also uh, then became that profession, uh, kind of a teaching for the baptized, uh, who were then receiving Holy Communion. We always need to remember two things, and uh, uh, there's always uh, uh, Latin words that are always helpful to remember, not only to impress your friends at parties, but... This is the way the church has done it. It's the term norma normans and the norma normata. Norma is the rule, and this one is called scripture, and this one is creeds. They're a little different. They should agree with each other. But scripture is the ruling rule, the rule that rules. The creeds are a rule, of course, but a rule that is already ruled by the Scripture. So Scripture is first and foremost. The creed is under it. This is the rule, and it determines what that creed is. This is the ruling rule. This is the rule that got ruled by the scriptures, got informed by it. So when someone says to you, well, the, the, the Apostles' Creed is not in the scripture, you don't have to believe that. You say what? Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it teaches exactly what the scriptures say. 
show me one of the teachings in the creed that has not taught in the scriptures themselves. So what we did was, we took what was the whole Bible and reducing it down to something that we could confess, three paragraphs, a page, something like that. Um, it was, and so they're, they're different. They're both, they both have a rule, but uh, uh, one has been informed by the other. So, Norma Normans, and, and the way I remember this is the S at the end goes with scripture. So to remember which goes with which. The Norma Normans, <laughs> ah, that's scripture, and the Norma Normata, ah, that's the uh, creeds. Uh, that the name of the people and the place, Normans from Normandy, is that using this language for ruler, perhaps? Or no, it's I, I, I don't it's know. Is that? Yes, corruption of the word of, of, of Northman. Really? Northman, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Interesting. He knows a lot of neat stuff. Sometimes that's helpful to have him around. <laughs> so, um, our own Lutheran confessions, uh, preface to the Book of Concord, talks about how we use that. Now, we do have within our Book of Concord documents like the Apostles' Creed, the Apology, I'm sorry, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, We've got the small catechism, the large catechism, the formula of Concord. We've got the treatise on the power and primacy. But we've got, you know, we've got seven documents. But they put three at the beginning. And the very first three are the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Right at the very beginning. Um, subsequently, many churches and schools committed themselves to this confession, referring to the Book of Concord as a contemporary symbol of their faith, in the chief articles in controversy over against the papacy, all sorts of factions. They referred and appealed to it without either controversy or doubt in a Christian unanimous interpretation thereof. They have held fast and loyally to the doctrine that is contained in it, that is based solely on the divine scriptures, that's where our, our teaching is from, and that is also briefly summarized in the approved ancient symbols, sometimes they call the creeds the symbols, um, recognizing what? The doctrine in those creeds and those symbols as the ancient consensus which the universal and orthodox church of Christ has believed, fought for against many heresies and errors, and repeatedly affirmed. So he said, we confess the same faith that the church has always confessed. And so by confessing these creeds, we show we're not doing something different. Luther didn't come on and say, oh yeah, 1,500 years have been all messed up. We're going to start over. We're going to do something. No, we, you know, the church has always taught this. What's taught in the creeds, that's what we teach. Going down to paragraph 8, this we did that we might testify and declare to our most gracious Lord, his Roman Imperial Majesty, everyone else, that it was in no way our disposition and intention to adopt, to defend, or to spread a different or a new doctrine. We want you to know, by confessing the creeds, 
we confessed what the church has always confessed. Um, we have the same... It's come from the scriptures, without a doubt. Uh, um, where it's what the uh, scriptures have taught. It's not only based on the scriptures, but that's what the church has held to. On your... His, uh, the history of the creeds. The Apostles' Creed itself... We can go back and find roots of this creed all the way back to the 2nd century, which is way back, shortly after the Apostles. In other words, you would have had the Apostles uh, having died, their disciples maybe alive, definitely the second generation after that, who very well may have known. Um, this, this is very recent. Um, and we find this in uh, uh, one's called De Simbolo. Um, that one's a little bit later. There's another one called the Roman Creed that I'm going to say has uh, more than 50% of the words of the Apostles' Creed already in it and was being uh, used. Um, and so it goes back quite a bit. It first occurs in a letter of about 390 um, uh, it is included in a confession of 404 A.D. Um, nevertheless, as it goes out in the Western Church, um, it didn't get to the Greek Church until about 1438. They had not heard of this creed. Um, at least that's that's what 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 they have said. Um, uh, they're they're not against it. Um, it's just not really a part of their tradition. And that's why when I mentioned before about the Syrian church, um, they were singing the Nicene Creed because that's the one they pretty well use. What about the Nicene Creed? Though the Apostles' Creed goes back to the second century, though it's often used in connection with baptism, and that's why Luther included it in our small catechism as the profession of faith, the Nicene Creed actually was used in the church before the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed. It was approved at the Council of Nicaea in 325. Now, we also have to understand that uh, these creeds, especially the Nicene Creed, um, where, where the Apostles was mainly done as teaching of the faith itself, the Nicene Creed kind of comes out of a response to error. And there was a man named Arius, and I think I included that for you on the back page. Did I give you that? Let's see. Uh, it's a boy. No, there it is. Um, Luther Encyclopedia. There was a man named Arius, a priest in Alexandria, um, who taught that God was uh, uh, to be described not as a trinity of three, one God and three persons, but as an abstract monad of himself, just one. And he alone was unbegotten, without equal, unchangeable, ineffable. And since he went on to say, well, God could not create the world directly because he was spiritual and the world was physical... That's kind of a Neoplatonic <laughs> idea. He said God couldn't create the world director because of this, so uh, um, and, and he couldn't create out of nothing. Therefore, before all times and eons, 
he first created Jesus, the Son. And then having created the Son, then the Son could create the world. And so he called this first thing that was created the Logos, called Son. He's, he's not really true God, and he's not eternal. Um, and so he's not of the same of the Father in essence. And so you can see that Arius didn't teach that, I mean, didn't believe that Jesus was true God. This teaching, I know it sounds a little crazy to us as I go through this, and you kind of go, I don't know, Pastor, who, you know, more than half of the church came over to his teaching. And this was a major, major issue to be dealt with in the church. And there were, you know, priests on both sides, some siding with Arius, some against Arius. And what were they going to do about this? Again, it didn't agree with the scriptures and what they had done. It is in 325 AD that the Nicene Creed uh, uh, is uh, confessed. The first council in of Nicaea in 325, dealing with this Arian heresy. It took time. And even by 381, so you're looking at, you know, something like 60 years later or something, it was still hanging around. And even though those who gathered together uh, confessed that this was not the case, um, in the Council of 325, there was about 150 bishops that confessed this. Uh, they then even revised the creed a little bit further in 381, and that's why it's often called the Nicaea-Constantinopolitan Creed, because in Constantinople it was updated a bit. Um, could we say this better? Could we make sure that it's understood you know, who God is and what he has done, you'll often at times, you know, say something in one way and then someone will misuse it and you kind of go, ah, that's not what we meant, so we go back and we add a couple words. Uh, that's what we find uh, that is going on. 451, they speak approvingly of it. The Third Council of Toledo adds the words and from the Son, the Filioque, confessing the full divinity of the Son and the Holy Spirit against the Arians. Um, Finally, about 858, it's being used in uh, the Mass with the Filioque. It's not until 1054 that the East actually objects to it, but um, it's being used in the Church. And so that's the Nicene Creed, uh, historically. Uh, though the Apostles' Creed goes back further, it doesn't really get used in the Church until a little bit later, uh, where the Nicene Creed is, is used much earlier. We have another creed called the Athanasian Creed. Uh, does anybody know the first word of the Athanasian Creed? Now, I said that the creed normally comes from the word credo, I believe. Um, the Apostles' Creed begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker. The Nicene Creed begins, I believe in one God. The Nicene Creed begins, What? 
Mary, did you get to it? I was going to send you there. Go to page 39, and you can see the Athanasian Creed is included in the uh, supplement. It begins with the words, Whosoever. Whosoever. Um, kind of an unusual way to begin a creed. Uh, whosoever. Um, not I believe or we believe. It happens in Latin to be the quicumque. Uh, that's the Latin word for it. And sometimes it's referred to as the quicunque, because it's the first word. Um, theologians are not very uh, creative. We don't like give creative titles to things. We just take the first word and call it that. Um, Although it reminds me of the scripture passage, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, he does not believe will be condemned. So it's in just a different format, kind of. It is. It is. Um, uh, the unusual thing about the Athanasian Creed. What did I tell you, page 39? Yes. I should have put that on my overhead, but I didn't. If you'll take a look at that, uh, sometimes they number them. These aren't numbered uh, in, in lines uh, that you would have. But lines 1 through 2 at the very beginning. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. And then, but this is the Catholic faith. And then it goes on to say, 1 and 2 um, let us know that the content of the faith, there are some things that you need to believe in order to be saved. Um, now, uh, you need to know that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. You need to know that your sins are forgiven by grace through faith. You need to know that there is a resurrection from the dead. Um, do you need to know something about Nimrod? Nope. What do you know about Nimrod? He was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty hunter. See, Mark knows that. You don't know that Nimrod was a mighty hunter? This is my book. It's in the scriptures. It's, it's true. But there are some things that, you know, you may or may not know. You can be saved without knowing that Nimrod. Now you know he's a mighty hunter. But you didn't even know that. You could be saved. That's why I didn't have to know that. You didn't forget that, Mark. That is a burden from my shoulders. (laughs) But, as this goes on to say, this, and what the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed does a whole lot of who Jesus is as true God and true man. The Athanasian Creed does repeat that, but the Athanasian Creed wants to make sure we understand the Trinity. There is one God, not three gods. There is one Lord, not three lords. There is, and it, and it lets us know and goes through. That's the way it starts, one and two. Some people object to that. And we're like, oh, well, you can Yeah, uh, the scriptures speak that way. Or if you go to the very end, number 40, at the end of page 40, once it has explained the faith, it says, this is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Um, so this is that important. Um, it could have been by Athanasius, but nobody holds to that anymore. Um, there was, uh, uh, there's always the uh, stories that they made up. Athanasius was getting baptized by, or er, Ambrose was baptizing Athanasius, 
and Athanasius, you know, said, uh uh-uh, there's only one God, and then Ambrose said another thing, and then they said it back and forth, and they composed it on the fly right before the baptism, and, and then someone wrote it down. It's, it's not true. Um, it was already in use, though, already in the 6th century, um, and again, it was a detailed explanation of the Trinity and the person uh, of Christ. All right, that gets me some historical. I did put on there just a little bit about the uh, ecumenical councils. That is, all of the church got together and confessed the same thing. Uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, Book of Concord. Uh, Here's where it talks about how we confess uh, the creeds because they also are against all the heresies. And, you know, they were against the Arius. We, We are too. Um, when it gets to the third article talking about who Christ is, it says, yes, we believe according to the apostles and the Nicene Creed. Um, we want to make sure that everyone knows we are confessing the, uh, the true teachings uh, that, have, that have been passed down. Um, I'm kind of out of time, and I think uh, uh, there is a section from Tapper that... Uh, speaks about the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian, gives you a little bit more history with it. The Creed has not always been a part of the divine service, um, but uh, by 7800, it started to be included. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it is definitely a response to the readings. So the scriptures come and say, here's what God says. And it's as if we then turn around and say, so what do you believe? So what do you say? And we stand up and confess what the scriptures have taught us. Um, We do it standing. We do it facing the pastor, facing the altar before God. We confess it before God because he wants to hear what we have to say. Who do we say that he is? But at the same point, it is also done, you would say, in the hearing of all around, and go, well, they all confess that. But, you know, where do you get that? And and, uh, that serves as a profession of the church's teaching. Any comments, questions about the uh, creed? Like the Reformed churches don't use the creed. You know, um... There are some that are very adamant about scripture and only scripture. We don't want any other stuff, you know. So when they when you say that there's a creed or something like that, um, uh, they 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 don't want to use it. Um, most of those that you would talk to, though, if you walk through the doctrines of the creed, you know, they, they may not know it, and you kind of go, okay, how about this? And they would they would believe all of it. Um, it's just the using of that other thing that, that they are um, against. Um, they don't want something other than that. Well, um, it's too Catholic. Well, what now? It's too Catholic. Yeah, and, and sometimes they confess it as, as such. Um, the more liturgical ones, uh, some will use them. They just won't profess them in the service. It's, it's not a part of their service. They, you know, they're doing other things in church, and, and, and it's not there. They may use it in teaching. I will tell you that there's quite a few, um, like Episcopal. Um, most of the Methodists will use the creed. 
the um, um, Baptist is all depends. You know, if it's free will Southern, probably not. If it's a general Baptist, which comes Northern ones, they would use it. So it's it's really a hit or miss, um, depending upon uh, what they've done. I've actually heard, and I, I always find it kind of funny, you know, when uh, uh, someone who grows up without this, and then an, a new pastor comes and and takes over at uh, Praise the Lord Church or something, and the member says, you know, our pastor, he's teaching us about the Apostles' Creed. And it's really good. And, it's all, you, know, and, and, and you know, we, we confess it all the time and kind of go, eh, we don't know anything. Eh, that's fine. It's, you know, but, but when they get it, they go, wow, this is great. And I go, yeah, we've had this all along. We've had this great thing, you know. Um, well, I mean, I grew up in the Methodist Church, and they used the creed. I mean, yeah. we had the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. And my daughter, the church she goes to now, don't know that not, they do the creed. As a matter of fact, my grandson said to me one day, he said, Grandma, you should have been at church today because our sermon was on the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it's not uncommon. Um, you know, if... If you say, I don't believe what the, that's why we're not using, because I don't believe what it says, you know, then you're outside the Christian church. But most of the time, it's simply a matter of other things. I just noticed something which may take up too much time. Uh, so just let me just point it out to you that I hadn't noticed this before. Uh, in the Athanasian Creed, there, as there are not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensibles, which they just said there was, or, or something similar, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible, that's only two. What's the third one? So, I'm, I've got some reading I have to do, too. It's talking about not separating the persons from the Godhead, but they're... All three together, one... The one uncreated is the same thing as the one incomprehensible. It's all talking about the one God. It's not two. It's one. Right. Okay. We'll get to that. All right. I will say, though, in the Methodist church that I grew up in, there was one thing that was different in the Apostles' Creed. They, where it says in there, he descended into hell. They left that part out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that part was that. I, I didn't deal with some of the translation issues. Now, um, there, there's very few that leave it out. There are some that will translate it so they can get around it. Instead of, uh, he descended into hell, they will say, he descended to the dead. Which is not to, quite the same thing. To the dead? Um, to the dead. I'm not, not going to get into all of that. I will say that there has been great care to make sure that the translation of things like the creeds, like the catechism, and, and, and all. Um, you might remember in the historical uh, part where I was teaching that um, many of the translations... They tried to do a, a, an ecumenical translation in the 1970s with an international commission on, on liturgical texts, and they tried to put it all together. They were just sloppy. I mean, if it was a paraphrase, you'd say, well, that's fine. But, but it, it wasn't quite you know, as, as it should be. So many of these things, I'm going to say, are a little more uh, uh, archaic language, but they're done with the purpose that we want to make sure that we're not 
losing by our translation something in particular. Now they did not. I, I did not ever remember doing the Nicene Creed, but I'm wondering if that's because they don't do communion all the time like we do. You know, if that's the reason. Because I never grew up knowing the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. or the Athanasian Creed. It was the Apostles' Creed. Jeff, quick. Well, I think on this descended into hell. I think you have to remember that the, the, some some people teach that that was part of Jesus' humiliation. No. Yes. I mean, I know they do, but also no. <laughs> but that's, that's wrong, because Jesus descended into hell victorious. He thumbed his nose at Satan and said, See, I told you in the garden, this wasn't going to work out for you. Besides, who else comes back from hell? Yes. Yes. Nobody else. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, you have taught us who you are and what you have done for us, and uh, that gives us great joy. We ask that you would uh, bless us, that we might be able to confess you before men, uh, and thus receive your great promise to confess us uh, before your Heavenly Father. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.